0: this week Tim Swartz is back again as our guest co-host and we welcome back an old friend of ours one of the easiest persons on the planet to interview and that's Stan Gordon and the reason is you ask him a question and two hours later he's done with the answer. Is that correct Stan?
1: Well that's what some people tell me but you know we got a lot of information we want the people to know what's going on out there
0: Well I have a few things I want to get on with you in terms of discussions but first it's interesting we talked to Stan On his landline, because his internet performance where he lives is not too great. And I'm thinking, just a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed Jacques Fillet on the Paracast. And remember, Jacques is like one of the inventors of the internet, as we know. And he's using landlines. So what does that say about Skype?
2: (laughs) I like Uh, Skype myself.
0: (laughs) Easy for me to use. Maybe one day we'll we'll convince, at least for audio, Stan to use Skype or something. But right now we're not. We've got a lot of things to talk about. And let's get on with that. Because you know, time's a wasting for us here. I'm thinking here, I don't know how Stan is, how old he is. I know that I am doing this on my 76th birthday. And I was thinking as I woke up this morning, the line in the song, and the line was actually How Terribly Strange to be 70. Mm. Both you, Stan and Tim, are kind of sort of old-timers. Do you recall what song that comes from? How Terribly Strange to be 70.
1: No, I can't tell you that one.
0: Tim? Mm,
2: I'm trying to think here. Is that a Rolling Stones song? (laughs) That or uh, um, The Doors, possibly.
0: No, it is actually a song from Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, Old right. Friends. That's right. that's old right. Friends. Okay. Old yeah, Friends. Yeah, I was way off. Lyrics. And it goes back to early days of the Rolling Stones. And the part of the song where that occurs is, can you imagine us years from today sharing a park bench quietly? How terribly strange to be 70. That's old friends, Paul Simon, from an album called Bookends, I believe, from Simon and Garfunkel. And that goes back to, what, 1968 or something like that? Mm -hmm. So that I think about, but I'm six years late, you see. (laughs) Another thing that occurred to me, the other day I'm reading an article where they're quoting what skeptic Robert Schaefer said about the Kecksburg UFO case, which goes back, of course, a thousand years in terms of time. But you know what I'm talking about. We're going back a number of years for the original episode, but he's calling it a meteor. Now, whatever you think about the cause of Kexburg, as Stan will tell us right now, something landed. Stan?
1: Yeah. And um, there's no doubt about that. You know, I I spent years and years investigating that case, and I started documenting that that evening, December 9, 1965, as news was breaking on the radio, and over many, many years, I tracked down hundreds of people who were involved, and many of those people from all walks of life, from men, women, children who were on the scene that night in the area where the object fell, to volunteer firemen, to law enforcement people, some who were on the scene, to numerous reporters from all the major radio, TV, and, and uh, newspaper affiliates, a lot in the greater Pittsburgh area, who went out to the scene that night, and they either saw military equipment or military personnel and equipment, and, and some of them interacted with the military. I tracked down some military sources. I have no doubt that something which we still do not know for certain what the source of the object was, but there is no doubt that something fell to the ground. Just give you a, a little recap, because we could spend hours and hours talking about this case, in the Pittsburgh area, it's about 4.47 p.m., December 9, 65. Multiple reports are coming in that a news media, the police departments, the radio and TV stations, that people seeing this brilliant, fiery object moving across the sky, and it moves into Westmoren County, People all through that area are seeing this object, and there was a lot we didn't know as the reports were breaking on the news that day, and the lot that I found out over the many weeks and months and years I did in following up on the investigation. But we, what we found out was that this object, as it's moving over Greensburg, it makes a turn to the south. It's observed by people in a lot of these small farming communities, um, Pleasant Unity, uh, Norvell, Mammoth, it goes over Kecksburg. It continues out to the mountains of Laurelville. What we're told is it kind of hesitated, began to track back towards Kecksburg. It makes another turn and goes down into the Wood Ravine. And, and I talked to local people who had seen the object when it came down. It's, in some cases, it was right over top of some of the witnesses' heads, with a couple hundred feet maybe. What I was told was, as this thing is coming down, it did not come down at a high rate of speed. It came down almost like it was making, almost like a controlled landing. And what I found out was that some of those local residents, after seeing the object fall into the woods, they went down into the woods and found this large metallic acorn-shaped object semi-buried in the ground. So, this thing, what is was described to me, and, and very unfortunately, one of the key witnesses, Jim Romansky, who was standing only a few feet away from it that night as a volunteer fireman, not from Kexburg, from another's apartment. And um, I'll never forget because I, I spent many, many, many interviews over many years interviewing him and his family, and people who knew him. And he has been a machinist most of his life as he got older, and he always said to me, he said, I'll never forget what that thing looked like. He said, it looked like somebody took liquid metal and poured it into an acorn-shaped mold kind of an off-gold bronze color. It was about 10 to 12 feet in length, about 8 to 10 feet in diameter. One solid piece of metal. No wall marks, no seams, no fuselage. But on the raised-up part of the, of the acorn-shaped object, which Jim always called the bumper area, he said there's these raised-up markings that look more like symbols. And from his memory, he didn't remember exactly what these symbols looked like over the years, and he never thought about them much until many years later when... Well, we just met by sheer luck. I can tell you that story, too. And he said, going to the library and looking up ancient writings, that said what he saw looked somewhat similar to ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. And um, there's no doubt that something fell. And I can also tell you this. Many people observed a large military flatbed tractor-trailer truck at the scene that night. And and that's one of a a number of details that for years I never made public until I had enough independent confirmation from other sources who could confirm that detail. So what I found out was, one, there was another flatbed, military flatbed tractor trail on the scene, went down earlier that night with a lower cargo, whatever was on it, with a tarpaulin over it. I found out later, went to the air base in Pittsburgh, and whatever was on that, um, on the truck, was uh, shipped by aircraft to somewhere out in the west, I was told. I don't know where. But the object in question, that the main object that was on the ground, went out on a flatbed tractor trailer approximately around 1 o'clock in the morning. And later, over the years, I got independent confirmation, including from more than one military source, that, the object was taken to Lockbourne Air Force Base near Columbus, Ohio, during the early morning hours of December 10th. The flatbed tractor trailer and the object were backed into a hangar. They set up a security perimeter around the hangar, and the security team, and I, and I interviewed one of the fellows who was on the security, the security team, said they were given a shoot to cure order to anybody approach that hangar without the proper clearance. I was also told it only stayed here for a short stayover. It continued on the wright Patterson Air Force Base. And after that happened, years later after that happened, I, I found out that, um, indeed, that's where it went to, and I was told what building it went to, and it was not Hangar 18 that a lot of people talk about. It was another facility on the base.
0: We have Stan Gordon, Pennsylvania UFO, Bigfoot 40, investigator talking about the Texburg case from the mid-1960s. More to come with Gene and Stan and Tim. You're in The Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After The Paracast. After The Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to The Paracast Plus. Once again, Paracast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out Paracast.plus to learn more about
3: Paracast Plus. First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000.
4: Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the mineral doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthur decks for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for Life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422.
5: Tejibo Tea Club's original Pure Pau D'Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus doesn't grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and antiparasite properties. That shop, S-H-O-P, super, S-U-P-E-R, T, T-E-A, dot com. So the complete website is shopsupertea.com. Or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, California time. That's shopsupertea.com at
6: 818-984-6100. Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi. I'm Jamel Bookaboo from TeamGaday.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world-renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to TeamGaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form, and I'll get back to you with support personally. That's TeamGaday.com with Longevity.
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: Tim Swartz again is our guest co-host. Stan Gordon joins us. And let's clarify this because you did point out that the object slowed before it came to the ground. And that is, some people say satellite. But the fact that the motion slowed would seem to put the line of that stand, Gordon,
8: right?
1: There have been multitudes of theories over the years as to what the subject was. And by the way, as this this object's on the ground, nobody reported any parachutes at the site. That's an important detail as well. We've looked into many, many different theories over the years. And, and I think when the 50th anniversary came about uh, a few years ago, I think it was four more people came forth with theories. They were all different. Everybody believed that their theory was the right one, but they're all different. And I can just tell you, there, there's a little more of the story than has been out there. There's certain details, again, that I'm still hoping and trying to get... A confirmation, again, by independent sources, which is something I'm very careful with doing. I don't like to bring details out until I can confirm certain things. But there's more of the story than meets the eye. And, again, I keep an open mind to all possibilities. You know, I've never come out and said, oh, this thing is definitely an extraterrestrial spacecraft. I've only said it's a possibility that has to be considered. I keep an open mind to all possibilities. You know, years and years ago I said, could we be dealing with something that's very, very advanced, very secretive, man-made? And, again, I keep an open mind. But, you know, so many of the programs, the Soviet programs, the U.S. programs during that time period have been declassified now. And I talked to various people who worked in the space program over the years, and we talked about the case, and they saw what details I had, and they all kind of scratched their head. Somewhat indicated that they didn't think we had any type of technology back in 1965 that could do what this thing supposedly did and what people saw on the ground. So it's still a case that's very, very interesting. I would like to have closure on it while I'm still alive, but I don't think that's going to happen. And there were so many witnesses like Jim Romansky, who was hopeful that the government would someday come out and release information on the case, because a lot of these people took a lot of ridicule over the years, but they stayed with their story. They knew what they saw, and a lot of these people went through the grave, never knowing the truth. Hopefully someday, regardless of what the origin of the object was, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting case. But once again, you know, I keep an open mind to all possibilities and I go where the evidence leads.
0: Okay, this leads us, of course, to the ultimate question. If something extraterrestrial landed at Kecksburg, unless it was severely damaged, one would think it could have taken off again, right?
1: Well, it was semi-buried in the ground. There was dirt and debris around it. There was uh, evidence that they had knocked some trees down, top of trees off. Again, we don't know what we're dealing with, but the whole point was this. First, you had the civilians came in. Then you had volunteer firemen being called out because a lot of these people weren't calling in to report. They saw something on the ground at the time. So the firemen are coming out looking for a possible downed aircraft in this large wooded area. But soon after, the military arrives on the scene. That's what made such an interesting case. It is very well documented. You had so many eyewitnesses, including reporters who were there who confirmed the military presence. So what is military equipment and personnel doing in the small farming community during the evening? On private property, by the way. So you have all this activity going on, but the military, from all indication, once they arrived on the scene, they took control of the situation. Everybody was out of the area, and the military took control, from what we know, they, they loaded the object up on the flatbed tractor trailer and they got out there early in the morning and it was shipped off to Lockbourne Air Force Base and up Upper Wright-Patterson.
0: Is that where we think it is today? You'd think. Okay, you'd think it's been there for what? 50, 60 years? 55 years. 55 years. 56 years ago, this thing is retrieved and taken supposedly to Wright-Patterson. 56 years one would think at this point in time the authorities would have some idea about it if it is something that isn't ours they'd know that yet at the same time we have a pentagon uap task force that treats the subject as if it just started in 2004 how do you react to that stan
3: well you know again the Kexper
1: case is very interesting but Honestly, I have investigated multitudes of other UFO incidents that are much more unusual and in some ways much, much stranger. Which I think tonight might be a good night to talk about many of these cases, some of these cases, because these are cases most people have never heard of before. You know, I've been out in the field investigating since 1965. This is 62 years of research for me. I have never seen a UFO or a Bigfoot. But uh, as you recall from previous programs, you know, I set up my hotline in on 1969. For the public to report UFO sightings, but as word got out, people were calling me about anything unusual from so-called haunted houses to flying saucers to strange creatures and Bigfoot, and it got to the point very quickly that I couldn't deal with this on my own, so I decided that I was going to set up a, a research group to investigate these reports. So in 1970, I founded the first of three such groups that for years we investigated cases across the state of Pennsylvania, and the first group was called the Westmoreland County UFO Study Group, and it started out in the greater Pittsburgh area, and the group was somewhat unique in that the majority of people involved, the men and women involved, were specialists. We had scientists, engineers, technicians, and a lot of these people worked for major companies back then, like Golf, Westinghouse, Alcoa. Some were connected colleges and universities. There were police officers There were former military intelligence people. I mean, there were all kinds of specialists that donated their time. We we're all volunteer. We all had full time jobs and we did what we could. But I had it set up that we could respond to cases 24 hours a
0: day. And by OK, you know, we've covered a lot of this. Stan. We've covered a lot of this in previous episodes. And I want to kind of talk about stuff we haven't really covered before or more recent things. So, for example, Kexburg. you say there are other cases that are, as they say, more amazing than that one. That one is something strange is found, recovered by the military and taken away. OK, that's pretty amazing right there. You know, in a sense, it's almost like Roswell. You recover something that's strange and you take it away. Are there other UFO landings, crashes that you have investigated that you can tell us about?
1: I cannot. Landings are very rare. But there have been many other cases over the years of of very low-level, close-range UFO sightings. And and many of these, again, are cases you've not heard of before. And I've got a lot of them here, and and I'd be glad to tell you about some of them. They go back to the 60s.
0: Yes, I'd like to do that as we progress with the show. Let's focus on stuff that we haven't heard before, that you haven't talked much about before, and then maybe more recent stuff to get a picture of where we are. We have Stan Gordon, who has been answering the phone since the late 60s. People have strange things happening in Pennsylvania. He's the go-to guy, okay? Our guest co-host this week is Tim Swartz. Many of our listeners know that Tim, for a number of years, worked with another Tim, the late Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO. And Tim will be working with us as guest co-host from time to time. And we're also joined over the forthcoming period by Kurt Collins on some episodes. Our staff announcer, Bob Zanotti, on others. Fascinating stuff. With Gene and Stan and Tim, you're in. The
2: paracast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
11: USA Radio News with Chris Barnes.
12: The family of the 10 innocent Afghan citizens killed in a mistaken U.S. drone strike in August now are demanding that those responsible be punished and that Washington's apologies so far simply are not enough. A spokesman for the family also telling the Associated Press they expect financial compensation. On Friday, the CENTCOM commander, General Keith McKenzie, took responsibility for the strike that he said was supposed to be targeting a vehicle containing ISIS
13: suicide bombers. This strike was taken in the earnest belief that it would prevent an imminent threat to our forces, but it was a mistake.
12: And the general there at that Friday briefing taking responsibility for what happened. The CDC says that extremely infectious Delta variant of COVID-19 now represents more than 99% of all the cases of COVID being tracked in the nation. And this is a lawyer for the family of a still-missing 22-year-old Florida woman says the fact that her fiance who's been a person of interest in her disappearance is now missing doesn't mean anything's happened to him but he's probably in hiding. Northport Florida police spent most of Saturday actively searching for Brian Laundrie. His family says they haven't heard from him since Tuesday. America makes space history again as the first ever all-civilian crew is back safely from orbit. Is the sound as the SpaceX capsule splashed down off the coast of Florida Saturday night. NASA officials say the Crew Dragon, the vehicle used for the trip, is likely the safest crewed vehicle ever flown into space. The CDC now saying that the very infectious Delta variant of COVID-19 in the U.S. represents more than 99 percent of the cases tracked in the country lately. And this is USA Radio News.
8: Jacques Vallée, you're listening to the podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: Tim is the man of a thousand voices. He will never replace Mel Blanc.
2: <laughs> don't want to.
0: No, well, nobody, Mel Blanc's nobody. dead. You don't want to replace Mel Blanc, he's dead. So that wouldn't be a nice thing, unless, of course, we can bring Mel Blanc back. Just think about this. We get a medium in here, and I ask the medium, call up Mel Blanc. I have to see what voice he returns in. Will it be Bugs Bunny, Barney Rubble, Porky Pig? Who knows? Stan Gordon, I wanted you to focus here on cases we haven't heard about. Give us something, you know, like a, if not a landing, a low-level case with intricate detail. That still mystifies us. Stan, go for it.
1: Okay, well, there, there are so many, but here's one that I always thought was quite interesting. This happened back in February of 68. So, Back in the 60s, especially late 60s, there were many reports coming in of large, solid, appear to be metallic kind of... Um, Battleship Grave. some people describe the surfaces of these large, solid objects that were so low in many cases, people were reporting like portals or windows in them, and sometimes seeing uh, like computers or lights behind them. And that was something that was, that was uh, not that unusual back in those days. There were a lot of reports. But one of the reports that many people never heard about happened in February '68. and these were two young brothers. This was here in uh, Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania. There were two young brothers involved. The youngest brother was a, a big believer in UFOs. The older brother was complete non-believer. I mean, these two guys would get into such arguments, they'd have fist fights over UFOs. So the older brother goes into the Navy, he got a high-level uh, security clearance, worked on one of the most advanced aircraft carriers at the time, so he knew about all the different type of aircraft that our government had at the time. So he gets out of the Navy in February '68, and um, he gets married, and he and his White, they rent a little farmhouse out in the country. That afternoon, he happened to look out the window. It was supposed to start snowing. He went to check the weather conditions, and suddenly he realized that this is odd-looking. There's something about 20 feet from his window, like a long gray metallic rod. And he takes a better look, and this long metallic rod, which was actually one of three, is attached to this very large, oval shaped object with a dome on top, he said this thing is about 50 to 60 feet in diameter, and the bottom appeared to be hollow, and the object was about 50 feet away from him and hovering about 50 feet over a fishing pond. And the man told his wife uh, about what was going on, so she came out and was just pretty much shocked looking at this thing. This thing had windows of portals in it, in the dome in the lower section of the object. It looked like instrument panels. At times you could see like flashes of different colored lights through the portals. The hollowed-out bottom looked to be about 20 feet in diameter, and there were numerous lights spinning within it. So the man calls his brother. Oh, there was more of the story. So while him and his wife were there, there's something like a catwalk in the center of the object. This small little humanoid creature about four, three and a half, four feet tall comes out, and another one comes out, and it looks like they're communicating with each other. And at one point, they look directly at him. And he calls his wife, and she comes out and sees this thing as well. So they call his brother who lived in Greensburg, which is probably 10 miles away from there, I'm estimating. And it was starting to snow pretty good, but his brother and his wife come out, and the object is still there. It's about 100 feet off the ground now, and they're right underneath it. And suddenly this thing just shoots straight up to the sky. and looks like a bright star going across the heavens, and it's gone. And they called the local airport, the Latrobe Trobe Airport at the time, and they said they were receiving many similar reports from other people. And that fellow who went into the Navy who never believed these types of things, he said to me, he said, if I hadn't seen it for myself, I could, I could not have been convinced. That's just one of many, many cases of large, low-level objects I've looked into over the years.
2: Yeah, see, that's that's really interesting. It, it doesn't seem like that we get a lot of uh, of these, like, structured craft reports anymore. You know, it seems like everything's like balls of light, plasma types of, of objects. I mean, you know, are, are you seeing uh, a similar pattern taking place uh, there in Pennsylvania?
1: You don't get as many of these low-level reports but we do still receive them. And uh, again, there's many from that time period and since then we can talk about. But in in more recent years, for example, let me give you a few other uh, incidents that I think were just amazing. And this is another type of case that's really important. This is September 3rd, 1987. And this is on busy Route 30. So you've got a four-lane major highway. It's about 8.30 in the evening. Numerous witnesses, including some law enforcement personnel, Now, this is where the old Green Gate Mall was at the time. And behind the Green Gate Mall back then, you had an annex where you had a number of movie theaters. So anyhow, there's witnesses down there and around other areas as well, and they see this huge object, uh, towards the west, and it's approaching that area. And, it gro- and this thing goes across the high-tension power lines, only about 300 feet up. But this object that they're watching, the first impression was by people was it was a huge blimp. They soon realized this thing was immense. It was a large cigar-shaped object, about 300 feet in length. They said it was about twice the length. They said, of what would you, would surmise it, maybe like two Goodyear blimps. And it was a silver or a dull gray surface, moving about 50 to 60 miles an hour. There was no sound, and it had numerous brilliant blinking lights that were white in color, but on each end they had a bright red flashing light. And this huge object is moving along the high-tension power lines, goes across Route 30. There's a power substation there. This huge object turns vertical in the sky, and when it does, all the power in the area goes out. And later when I was told when the power company went back behind that annex where the mall was, where there was an extensive power failure, they found that all three of the master fuses located in the feed line had been blown. Apparently it's something that just doesn't happen or rarely ever happens. So there was a lot of you know, interesting reports. And, and one thing that I found as a pattern back in the 60s, I began to notice these kind of reports. Uh, that there was an interest in our power grids. There were, there were sightings commonly over some of the, uh, the power stations and over the high power tension lines in many, many areas. Back in, so my memory is 1967, I believe, they were building the Homer City Power Station Indiana County. And while it was under construction, there was a major wave of UFO sightings that went on for weeks and weeks of objects coming down and attaching to the power lines, low level reports. I believe it was one report of a possible landing on the, on the roadway they were working on. And one of the professors at Indiana University uh, had a UFO club that they went out and investigated the reports, And that was making a lot of local, uh, local newspaper news at the time. So this has been going on for years and years. But another pattern... And I don't remember if we talked about this before or not, because this gets deeper and deeper into a lot of the very strange thing I've been finding out about Bigfoot and cryptids and other phenomena, which is going on more and more now, not only in Pennsylvania, around the country. But one, the pattern I found years ago was that many low-level, close-range UFO sightings and many encounters with Bigfoot and other cryptids commonly occur in the vicinity of high-energy sources. So you've got many sightings around high-tension power lines, And power plants and gas wells, gas lines, radio communication towers, uh, railroad tracks, um, uh, areas of bodies of water. So you have a a definite energy connection there. And um, so these cases go on and on and on. And and another one, another case that's really fascinating, again, that so many people never heard about. This occurred, um, I believe, June 1st, 2013. And, again, this was another section of Route 30 down in North Huntington Township. So this is around Irwin, North Huntington, outside of Jeanette, and the area that's had a a long history, again, of of a lot of sighting reports of UFOs and cryptids. But um, this witness, who I interviewed many times, it was a woman and a three-year-old child. She was uh, coming out of a convenience store heading uh, eastbound on Route 30, and she's on her cell phone. And she had to stop and brake right in the middle of Route Thirty. And, and I know she told me later on. She said I couldn't believe it. I'm by myself. There's no cars near me. They're all way ahead of me or way behind me. And she said I had to stop and brake because here's this huge object, um, hovering very low, taking up all four lanes of highway.
0: We got more to come with Stan Gordon, and Tim Swartz and Gene Steinberg. Means you're in the Bettercast.
4: Angie's List is now Angie, and getting your to-do list done just got easier. Between back to school and with the holidays around the corner, it can feel like there's no time to tackle home projects. Whether you need help with emergency repairs or major upgrades, Angie matches you with top local pros who can get the job done right. Browse reviews, see upfront pricing, and instantly book hundreds of projects. Save time for what matters most. Book your next project at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.
3: Oh, whale. Guys, whale.
15: Wow, whale.
13: Oh, that's a big whale. Um, okay. Whale, whale, whale. Oh, no, whale.
16: The tides can turn quick on the water. Progressive's boat insurance has you
7: covered. Get a quote today in as little as 3 minutes at progressive.com. Well, at least
0: it wasn't a shark, am I right?
17: <laughs>
18: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. For over 20 years, Extendivite has been helping people. Here is a testimonial from Amazon.com. Glad I found this product. I am 51 years old and started getting headaches a couple of times a week. I went to the doctor and my blood pressure was a little high at around 150 over 95. I found out about Extendivite and I ordered some to try it. Immediately, I felt better and it lowered my blood pressure and my headaches went away almost instant. I have been taking it now for about four months, and I am so glad I found this product. You won't be disappointed. ExtendoVite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. That's H-E-A-R-T-D-R-O-P.com. Extend your life with
3: ExtendoVite.
2: Hi, it's Grant Cameron from presidentialufo.com. You're listening to
19: the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: As we see, when Stan talks about a case or a situation, he will give you intricate detail. Stan, just continue where you left off.
1: Okay, so the young child yells, look, Mommy, a flying iPad in the sky, Mm. and this object, when she, at the distance she was, she was about 150 feet away initially from the object that was hovering. And it was completely silent. It was about 60 feet above the highway, taking up all four lanes. And she said it looked mostly rectangular and said it looked like the gondola of a blimp, but without the blimp. And she said the length of this thing appeared to extend over the east and westbound lanes of the highway. It was about 55 feet in length and about 35 to 40 feet high she said it was two tiered the top section was made up of uh, there were five sets of green lights They were individual rectangular lights in each set, and the five sets of lights were all evenly spaced in a vertical position. The lights were all steady with no blinking. The green was brighter than the green of a traffic light. The bottom section, which was smaller in size, contained within it two solid red lights that were placed side by side. They were steady and never blinked, and they gave the witness the impression they looked like brake lights, but they were huge. The woman's on the phone talking at the time, she had to pass underneath the object to get home. So when she passes underneath the object, she notices that the, the digital display on her car dashboard for the clock, I believe it was the temperature, the airbag status goes out, the Bluetooth sync connection goes out, The radio goes off to the air she's listening to. She tries to take a picture with her iPhone. The camera function would not work, would not let her go into the photo mode, which is something that's been going on more and more, by the way, in recent years with other cases. So she accelerates down the road. Then she says she got about a half a mile away, and at that point, everything went back to normal, was working again. Those are the kind of cases that are very, very important. You don't hear about it, but we have a very interesting case where there's various types of electromagnetic effects. And here's one that's even more recent. And this is along the Chestnut Ridge, and I'm sure we probably have talked about the ridge over the years. It's probably one of the most interesting, strange places in the country. But the Chestnut Ridge is not just one small area. This mountain range runs about, about 100 miles long. So you have Westmoreland, where I'm at, Fayette, Indiana County, and in southwest Pennsylvania. It extends down into West Virginia, to uh, Preston County, outside of Morgantown, West Virginia, year after year. We have UFO sightings, Bigfoot encounters, cryptid reports, mystery booms, underground sounds, all kind of weird phenomena goes on year after year along the ridge, especially in Westmore and Fayette County. There's a lot of activity around that area, around Latrobe, Derry, Youngstown. All those areas along the ridge are are historically very active with reports. So here was an event that happened June 4, 2019, a little more recent. And there were two people traveling along the Youngstown side of the ridge that evening. The sky was clear, with good visibility. And the passenger yelled out, what are those lights in the sky? And the driver was watching a row, so he pulled over. The passenger, the woman, said what she saw appeared to be like a glass tube cylinder among bright lights that seemed to be covered in a smoker haze. And the cylinder appeared to be attached to a large V-shaped object with several rows of different colored lights. And so the driver... He pulls over and he stops the vehicle and said he's just amazed when I interviewed him, seeing this object hovering about 60 feet over the trees, kind of a V-shaped object, and he said it appeared to be made up of numerous small rectangular-shaped white lights. Those lights were glowing but would brighten at dim at times, and he said yes, he estimated about 50 of those lights. He said this object, I think it was about 40, 50 feet long. Above the smaller lights, though, there were four larger lights that were strobing orange, blue, red, and green. The brightness of those colors seemed pale compared to the smaller rectangular white lights of the object. Those lights, however, seemed to strobe from left to right. And then there was a larger light that produced a beam that was scanning the sky above the object. So the driver lowers the window to watch this object and they're amazed that this large object is completely silent. They hear no sound whatsoever. But the witness, they continue to watch, and they're getting pretty shook up and pretty upset over the whole thing. And the driver said it was as though the electronic system of the car was having a seizure. The radio was off at the time. However, they began to hear this odd clicking sound inside the vehicle, but they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And at the same time, it was noticed that the dash lights were dimming on and off to the beat of the clicking sound. He also stated that he was having trouble with his cell phone, getting signal at the time. The witnesses watched it for about three minutes, became very disturbed. Later, he said to me, he said, you know, we were so shook up and so amazed what we were seeing, We didn't even think about trying to take a picture. But he said the object was still hovering as they began to drive down the road about 30 miles per hour, but then something else strange began to happen. About 30 seconds after they left the location, animals began running out of the woods as they were frightened. A deer came out, and this guy's in Experienced Henry said he never saw animals so shook up or frightened as that something really was dazing them, confusing them. Then another deer came out. Then a bird hit the car windshield. Other animals came out. And he said that he'd never forget that night. He was so startled about what he saw and what happened. So here you have electromagnetic effects on animal reactions to a case.
2: You know, the entire phenomenon fascinates me. But one of the things that always fascinates me about some of these cases is how brightly lit and and very apparent these things are every one of these cases that you described i mean they're they're covered with lights you know flashing strobing i mean they might as well just have the uh, the word ufo written on them it's almost like they're trying to draw attention to themselves
1: and in They're very bright and some reports, even in the last few years. We're getting more and more reports, in fact, right through the last week, of these very large cigar-shaped objects, even in daylight, that are seen. And and sometimes uh, we're getting reports of these things that they seem to be almost luminous and glowing. So that's interesting as well. But in some cases, they're not like that. And here's another really interesting case, because in this case, the witness was so close to the object, he could have reached up and touched it. And this was another fascinating case from 1985 near Indian Head. So this is up in Fayette County. This fellow was coming home from work around 1230 in the morning. He sees uh, over the trees, he sees these six lights. And then he realized that these lights are are connected to this object that he first thought was it was a long blimp. But he realizes this blimp has no gondola on it, and it's silver metallic looking looked like to be about 100 feet in length, and it's coming down very low as though it was in kind of trouble or something, and it's coming across across the road to this field, and it looks like it's hovering right over this field. So this young guy gets out of his vehicle and runs across the road thinking this thing's in trouble He's literally standing underneath it. He said, I could have reached up and touched it. And he said, I'm looking up at this thing. I'm looking for USA. I'm looking for Goodyear. There's no markings on it. There's absolutely no sound. It's moving so slow. He said, all I could hear was the size of this thing just moving, rushing through the air as it's moving. And he said, as it's hovering there and he hears this whooshing sound, he said the bottom of the object is hollow. And, again, in some of these reports where these people were so close, they described the bottom section of these objects as looking hollow at the bottom. And he said there were six bright lights at the top of the object that were flashing bright uh, in high-intensity blue, the light spun in the counterclockwise pattern illuminated the trees and the ground. The object moved and hovered very low over the field. And again, he was looking for any kind of thing. He yelled out to this thing, yelled out for anybody. There was no response. And there was a house close to the road. He ran there, was knocking on the door to see these people I had a camera. And they, of course, thought he was crazy and didn't, and didn't respond. So he got into a car, ran down the road, brought some people back. Uh, a few minutes later and it was gone.
0: You say the bottom looks hollow. Do you mean open? Yes. It was okay. open. And okay, so why do they see so why they see just a dark interior?
1: No, he said that uh, in the case, in this case that the bottom was hollow but there were bright blue lights that were emitted from the bottom section and then there were other bright lights at the top of the object that were illuminating the surrounding area.
0: Wow. I just wonder what I think if I saw one of those things coming down the road. Of course, we big 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 city people don't. Tim, ask the question, then I'll break. Go ahead.
2: Okay, I was just going to say, that guy had a lot of guts getting underneath it like that.
1: Well, you know, his first impression was he thought it was a blimp in trouble. So that's what his first thought was: is the blimp's in trouble? It's so low to the ground, something's wrong. That's why he's running over and yelling up at it to see if anybody respond. But then he's realizing there's no market there's no gondola, there's no markings, there's no USA, there's no Goodyear, and he realizes this was much stranger. So he goes down the road and guess brings people back, and it's gone. He calls the state police. Uh, they had him contact me. What nobody knew was that there were other reports for hours coming in across the state of something very similar to that I was
17: receiving.
0: We got more to come with Stan Gordon and Tim Swartz and Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN.
0: and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more
6: about Paracast Plus. Eating, working, living pain-free. These are things many of us take for granted. But for many adults with disabilities who are elderly or have serious medical issues, dental care is simply unaffordable dental lifeline network is looking for dentists who can change this dln is asking dentists and their teams to volunteer to just see one of the many patients in need you can literally change a life when you volunteer with dln's donated dental services program to c1 you treat a pre-qualified patient in your office at your convenience we handle the details so you can focus on the care Lack of dental care can lead to the inability to have life-saving surgery, eat, or contribute to our community. If you are a dentist or know a dentist, please share this message. Will you see one? Visit willyouseeone.org to help change one life in your community today.
7: Welcome back to the Paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: This is the biggest thing about a lot of these cases, Stan, where it's not just one person who sees something weird, but other people seeing something similar. Go ahead, Stan Gordon.
1: Again, I'm just giving you some examples of probably the hundreds of cases I've worked on among the thousands of, of where well, these are very detailed reports. These are the kind of cases that a government should be investigating uh, along with the military sightings, because these things are going on all the time. We've had some very interesting activity in the last week. Again, a lot of it this year, which we'll talk about as well. But just going back in, in history a little bit here, some of the cases I, I've looked into. In August 12th of 1986, in a suburb of Pittsburgh, Monroeville, about 8.30 in the morning, witness reported seeing a large, solid, cigar-shaped object, fat and rounded out, hovering over some trees behind the Monroeville Mall complex. It moved towards the mall and hovered about 200 feet over the roof of a store. The size of the object describes the length of three school buses Completely silent. That afternoon, a similar sighting was reported about 30 miles away. In February of '88, this is between two counties, Cambrian and Somerset County, between 7:45 and 8:30. A number of reports from various witnesses in about a 10-mile area in the near the area of Blau where people observed an object as big as a house hovering over a body of water. Object with solid appearance, about 60 feet long, with two rows of colored lights that did not blink. The object hovered about 50 feet over the water, within 100 feet of several witnesses. At one point, bright spotlights from the object were directed towards a wooded area. That same evening, in the vicinity of the McNally Bridge, other cars stopped after a large object rose up from beneath the bridge and rose to the height of the bridge. One witness I interviewed was only about 100 150 feet from the object he said the object looked like a metallic football about 50 to 60 feet long about 25 feet wide there were various colored lights on the object including five or six laser lights emitted from the front and the witness says he was amazed that the object had no wings or propellers and hovered with no sound And then another witness that evening near Davidsville said what he saw would look like a small cruise ship in the sky. He said the object passed directly in front of him, only about 20 feet away. He said it was a solid object, looked like a football with tapered ends. I mean, again, what you don't hear is we're getting more reports in populated areas and over major cities. In May of 1989, in a suburb of Pittsburgh, Squirrel Hill, which is a very populated area, two witnesses uh, stopped in uh, at a restaurant around 3 in the morning uh, to get something to eat. As they drove down about a block away near Whitman Street, they noticed this large, in this case, a very large, very luminous bright object hovering over the intersection of Beacon and Waitman. The driver was so shocked that she stopped the car and got out to look directly at it. The first thought was uh, that it was a blimp, but as they watched it, they realized this object was more elongated, was brightly illuminated in a white glow. Toward the bottom of the object, there were three large red lights that appeared to be connected. The silent object that had been hovering for several minutes, did not move off, but seemed to suddenly just vanish away and disappear. And they made a police report on it, which I have a copy of it. And these sightings go on and on. And here's one, you know, everybody heard about the Phoenix Lights, but we had an incident that was a very big investigation done. It was February of 1992. This is near Williamsport, Pennsylvania. This involved numerous witnesses that took place right around metropolitan Williamsburg and surrounding areas. It was covered in the local newspapers. I was amazed it never made national news, by the way. And the series of sightings took place late in the afternoon, one or possibly more than one very large boomerang, a triangular object. Reports were that this thing had an estimate of maybe um, hundreds of feet in length. The object at times was moving so slowly that people who were nearby moving actually underneath it, people walking underneath it, they were able to keep up with the pace. It was moving that slowly at the time. Most UFO reports there's no sound but in some cases we do have reports of sound. in this case this thing made a very loud rumbling sound almost like a train coming up through the area but there was no train around there and people were running outside to see what was making the noise to see this large object in the sky
0: any possibility that some of the ufos that make a sound are not ufos but test aircraft of some sort
1: if you're going to test an aircraft when the government has hundreds of miles restricted airspace Why would you be doing it over a very highly populated area in the afternoon? By the way, there was more to it, so I I began to make a lot of contact with different sources. I talked to the dispatcher at the state police barracks, and they said they had received numerous reports of a large low-level object. I spoke with an air traffic controller at the Williamsport Lycoming Airport at the time. He handled about 20 calls from the public, and he told me he had contacted the Harrisburg Approach Control to see if they were working any military aircraft or were aware of any aircraft in the air at the time they were not it was also told that nothing unusual showed up on local radar so whatever this thing was it still remains a mystery and there was a lot of investigation done. and one of the fellows that did the investigation who was now deceased um, was a uh, former military officer and an engineer and he uh, did quite a extensive investigation also down there
0: and the question i would have here is and maybe an assumption too we're assuming the military would be decent enough before they send their test aircraft to notify the local airports and local officials. But if they wanted to see how we'd react to it, they wouldn't necessarily do that. They'd be more interested in public reaction to the presence of this craft than any of the niceties of being good people. And that's a
1: possibility, and we can't say 100%, nor do we say that this thing is something completely unidentified or something extraterrestrial, because we don't know that. But this was a very interesting report. There was a lot of investigation I know done from the investigators down that area who was very familiar with aircraft and technology. It was quite an interesting case with a lot of people involved.
2: It just seems like, for the most part, the authorities, military, what have you, really don't seem to be uh, too interested in looking too deeply into these reports, unless they're just, you know, secretly doing it behind the scenes, or uh, unless, like recently, there's there's a lot of, uh, of of press coverage.
1: Yeah, and and again, you know, I, that's something I've always wondered: like, why aren't you investigating? It's not just the cases I've investigated. You have multitudes of cases, I guess, all over the country and around the world. And, again, I I can't remember exactly what we talked about in past shows because I do a lot of them. And one of the things is what I call mini UFOs. And I think this is a very important thing because this is a part of the UFO subject that so many people are not aware of. And I've been investigating these cases since the 1960s. They're ongoing. And these are so fascinating because these are not objects in the sky. These objects come very close to people, Get are low to the ground, I've had incidents where they've actually entered people's homes and cars through open windows and floated out and went, and went out the window, or actually through walls sometimes in people's homes, they've been going on for years and years. And uh, now these objects, the smallest ones are about an inch or two in diameter, some people describe looking like oversized fireflies, mm-hmm. but majority of them, they're about a foot or two in diameter. And uh, they're sometimes solid metallic, but in other cases, they're just bright, luminous sources of various colors. And again, there's some variations in that, and they're not always spherical, but the majority of times they are. And I can give you a great example when happened just a few years ago of another case too. These small spheres of light are very intriguing, and I, and I... Again, we may have talked about this before, but the incidents I investigated here in Pennsylvania in the 70s were very similar to what we later heard about the Skinwalker Ranch, but now places all over the country, including Pennsylvania, where there's ongoing phenomena of different types, where the phenomena seems to target for whatever reason. When you have this outbreak, you quite often have various types of anomalous events, from these small spheres of light to UFOs to Bigfoot to other cryptids, to all kind of strange phenomena, electromagnetic effects. And um, these balls of light are most intriguing, but also in more recent years throughout the country and, again, in Pennsylvania, Bigfoot researchers who are out in areas investigating Bigfoot sightings where you have a history of Bigfoot encounters, they're reporting seeing these small spheres of light or other type of light phenomena close to the ground. And um, we have some fascinating cases over the years I've investigated which ties in Bigfoot with these small spheres of light. And during that major wave of of Bigfoot sightings in 1973, uh, one of the cases north of Pittsburgh would have been September of 73, and there were two witnesses out
0: in the country. Let's break it here and find out more with Tim, Stan, and Gene, you're in The Baracast.
18: That's 800-475-0092.
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: Out in the country, two witnesses. What do they see, Stan Gordon?
1: All right, so these two people are waiting for a friend to pick them up. They see this seven, eight-foot-tall, hair-covered Bigfoot with white hair, by the way. And, again, you on occasion hear about the white hair-covered creatures, but not that often. So it's running across the road towards the woods, but in one of its hands it's carrying a small sphere of light. And as it runs off into the woods, soon after, this object comes across the sky, projects a beam of light down into the woods where this creature ran into. So that was always a fascinating case. And here, in just in the last few years outside of Pittsburgh, and where we're getting calls from other people in the last couple of years who live in the same general area that don't even know about uh, other reports from there, so this is May of 2019, and this fellow uh, gets up mill middle of the night, looks out his kitchen window, it's around one o'clock in the morning, and it's well illuminated, there's a lot of lighting uh, outside and he sees a smaller Bigfoot, and on occasion we get to report these smaller ones, about four to five feet tall, and he sees this creature, a small one, dark hair, uh, long hair in the head and the back area. It's walking upright. The arms, arms are extended down below the knees. The arms are swinging, and he watches this creature enter a certain area going into the woods. About three seconds later, in that exact location where the creature went into, a bright sphere of light about three to four inches in diameter suddenly appears. And that witness said that it looked something like, if you look right to the front of a flashlight, it would look like that, but it was about four feet above the ground. That light moved a short distance for a few seconds, then vanished. About four to five seconds later, that light appeared again about 10 feet away, and the small sphere emitted a bright beam of light about 10 to 12 feet long, for a few seconds it vanished and disappeared, and they never saw he never saw anything else again. Those are the kind of things that are going on, but these small sphere reports are, are so amazing. One of my research associates, Jim Brown up in Fayette County, so this would be now in November of two thousand and nineteen. This is up around Masontown. He interviewed a fella that afternoon around four thirty that this fella is uh, riding down the road. he comes over the rise of a hill and he sees his ball on the road just sitting there. He said it was about two to three feet across. It was blocking the road. Well, he couldn't drive there without moving the ball, so he didn't know what this thing was. He said he sat there for a minute, decided to get out and move it, but he said when he opened the car door, it suddenly began to physically fade away. He said in a few seconds it just vanished and disappeared. It never moved. It just faded away, and it was gone. These cases are just startling what goes on, and you never hear about these reports.
0: That's very interesting here, too. Now, in the old days, we had local newspapers, and we still have some. But most of the newspapers have been taken over by large conglomerates. Where they exist, they primarily depend on digital versions with paywalls for their circulation. So the coverage of these cases may not have been so terrific back in... 1970 or something, but in 2019, it's almost impossible, isn't it?
1: Well, you know, the whole situation is this. I receive reports all year round, every year, including many again recently. The majority of people, even today, they come from all walks of life, and some of these people are very prominent. They have some important positions. They still want no publicity. Even though they're more willing to talk about it, they're not ready to go public. So these people don't go to the newspapers. And that's one of the main reasons that you don't hear about about a lot of these cases in the
0: news. And you don't really have local newspapers the same way, which is what I was pointing out. A well, lot of times, true. even when a newspaper exists covering a small town, they've cut back on staff and they don't have the people to handle this kind of coverage.
1: Well, that's basically true but i can tell you in my general area we still do have some local papers the newspapers locally around here have have always been very supportive of my investigations even the last couple years some of these papers done some very extensive very detailed interviews uh with me in the investigation so luckily in this area we still have pretty good coverage
0: well of course here we have the phoenix area supposedly based on different studies like cheryl costa's statistical study of cases. I'm living Maricopa County, Arizona in a hotspot of UFO activity. But the local paper is the Arizona Republic, which is owned by Gannett, a large newspaper chain. And a lot of the coverage is not local. It's just stuff from the national papers. And you don't get any of this. It's like nothing happens. Well, that certainly elicited a great reaction, but you but you see where you are, Stan. You have small towns. You have small town papers.
1: Yes, we still we have large papers and we have small towns. And and again, uh, in this area, uh, at least over the last few years, they, some of the papers have continued to do some some very good research and they've done some very good interviews. And so, at least the public is aware that their sightings still going on. But again, it's. These sightings go on all the time, all year round. And I don't know if I mentioned this last time we talked or not, but earlier this year we had quite a significant wave of UFO sightings in the greater Pittsburgh area. And um, this, this went on um, kind of late February through March. Uh, a lot of this was in daylight, and uh, a lot of it was in very populated areas, And just to give you an idea about some of the things that were going on. There were, in March, there were three white circular lights seen in the triangular formation in Cambria County. Um, There were reports of triangular-shaped objects reported in different locations. A large black rectangular object was reported in Bedford County. Reports of large glowing spherical objects seen at low level and close to homes Bright objects moving straight up to the sky and disappearing. Sightings of small spheres of light close to the ground in some areas. Residents were reporting from different areas. Unusual luminous objects being recorded on their game and security cameras. And I I talked with other researchers that I know around the area. One of them was Dan Hagman up in Butler County. And Dana told me that during March, he, they were receiving multiple reports of fireballs and spears uh, over Butler County. So here's just an example of a few of the reports that he got. On uh, March 2nd, he had reports of three shiny silver spheres moving west to east in a straight line. They look shiny, silver in color, and glowing. They look equally spaced and were moving very fast. On um, March 8th, a witness observed a shiny, bright, cigar-shaped object in the morning sky. sky was clear with fluffy clouds around. The object did not appear at any wings or tail section. The witness indicated the object was so bright he had to squint his eyes to view it. The witness, who was very familiar with aircraft, stopped his vehicle and got out to get a better look. The object moved into a cloud but it never exited. And by the way, that's something that's been going on in more recent years. We have more reports, even in daylight, of very large objects that enter cloud formations, and sometimes people sit there for an extended period of time with a camera, waiting for a picture, and the object never comes out. That's very interesting. But here's another one of the cases that Dan had, March
0: 11th. Before we go to the March 11th case, let's take a brief pause, a pause that refreshes. some copying that from something as we all know we have stan gordon covering lots of sightings including those as recent as march of 2021 more to come with gene and tim and stan you're in Ooh, the pericast
9: thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
19: You've seen crazy diets to lose weight?
6: USA Radio News with Wendy King.
17: French President Emmanuel Macron has recalled his ambassador to the United States Friday in response to the U.S. and Britain's deal to share submarine technology with Australia. France's Minister for Europe and Foreign Affairs confirmed they had called back Ambassador Philippe Etienne. Macron also recalled the French ambassador from Australia. The United States, Britain, and Australia announced a trilateral security partnership stating its first major initiative will be to deliver a nuclear power submarine fleet for Australia. The fleet will not include nuclear weapons. The agreement killed a multi billion dollar deal Australia had with France. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison denied French accusations that Paris wasn't warned about the possibility of a new deal. This is USA Radio News. Haitian migrants that are seeking to escape poverty, hunger, and a feeling of hopelessness in their home country said the U.S. plans to speedily send them home won't deter them as thousands of people remained encamped on a Texas border after crossing from Mexico. USA Radio Network's Dan Rocky has more.
3: House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is calling on the Biden administration to deploy the National Guard to the southern border to help deal with a surge of Haitian migrants. More than 11,000 people are gathered under a bridge outside of Del Rio, Texas. U.S. Customs and Border Patrol announced Friday evening that the Del Rio port of entry was being closed in response to the surge. Fox News reporting that the border checkpoints in the area have been closed as well. The agency says that trade and travel traffic has been rerouted to the Eagle Pass port of entry 57 miles away to help manage resources and keep the flow of legal traffic uninterrupted. From the USA Radio News Ohio Bureau, I'm Dan Naraki.
17: You're listening to USA Radio News.
3: Jake was in big trouble
20: with the IRS. He owed how much? 92.
3: This is me, the Merciless. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my plan.
0: Ooh, that's an interesting imitation from Tim Swartz. Stan Gordon is talking about cases here. This was March 11th of 2021. And to remind listeners, Stan was here in March when all this stuff was going on. Was this covered, before we go into the case itself, by the local papers?
1: I don't believe anybody did, and I can tell you again why, because I talked to a lot of the witnesses, and most of them were so reluctant to even talk to me about them. They didn't want any publicity. Again, some of these people had important jobs. No, they didn't. But that's what was so fascinating to me is that you're getting all these reports from different areas, Some of them are close together. These people don't know about the other reports. They're really amazed when you find out other people reporting the same thing. They're coming in from other counties around Pittsburgh. So that's what's so interesting. You have this activity going on for weeks, and it's coming in from so many different people from different locations.
2: I'm curious, with the uh, last year, early last year especially, with most of the country, Uh, being quarantined, I mean, did you see a downtick in reports or just the opposite?
1: Well, I can't say there was an increase, but I can tell you, I I was really surprised. And and I'll go over some of the fascinating cases, but pretty much since 2017, but really, my memory serves me, I think about 2019 up to the present, It has been just continuous reports all year round, and 2020 and 2021 has been very busy with Bigfoot sightings, cryptid reports, UFO reports, and again, it's coming from widespread areas. It's all across the state, but a lot of the activity is here in southwestern Pennsylvania. It's just amazing what goes on, and again, in the last week, there's been some really interesting reports coming in, so we can talk about those later on as well. So do you want me to tell you about that March 11th report?
15: Yes, go for it.
1: Okay, so up in Butler County, Dan had interviewed a man who was in his kitchen that evening when he began to feel a strange vibration and heard a low rumble. And he realized that the sliding glass door on his deck was vibrating. So he looks out the door, and he sees this very bright, very large pulsating round object that's just above the trees at the edge of his yard. The light from the object's illuminating his backyard as though it's the middle of the day. He steps out on the deck, and, and he couldn't believe what he was seeing. He uh, thought a tingling sensation. His hair stood up at hand, and he had chill bumps on his body. He called to his wife, and he hurried inside to grab a camera. When he came back, it was gone. Mm. So, those are the things that, that go on. And, you know, I deal with these cases regularly. And I mean, there's hardly a day goes by that I'm not dealing with. A UFO sighting, a Bigfoot crypto report, a current report, or a past report. It's just amazing. And we can't even imagine how much of this is going on. I receive reports. Mufarm receives reports. National UFO Reporting Center. And there's multiple other smaller groups of individuals here in Pennsylvania that receive reports. We have no idea how much this is going on. And we can't even imagine how much this is not being reported.
2: I was going to ask. Because you probably only get, you know, maybe one percent out of uh, you know, everything that that's happening. Is there any way to determine if there is any kind of pattern to these sightings? Not just UFOs, but uh, you know, cryptids, what have you? And and uh, does it seem like it may start in one area and then radiate outward, or just at times it's just like almost like an explosion where just everything just happens at once.
1: Well, it's unfortunate because there's never been, as far as I'm aware, there's never been a database where all the reports went into over the years. And, again, even to separate the reports, because... You know, again, when I started investigating incidents back in '65 out in the field and been doing it ever since, let's put it right up front. Many UFO sightings, encrypted reports, and other phenomena, when you properly investigate them, many are determined to be misidentifications, and many are either man made or natural in origin. So there's a lot of things that look very strange and unusual, but when you take the time to investigate them, you quite often find an explanation. But year after year, I mean, you've heard just a few of the cases I've looked into. You have many cases like this you could not easily dismiss. And these are the important cases. And we have been talked about Bigfoot encrypted sightings in recent years and some of the very weird things that are going on. And I began to see some patterns long ago. It's going on more and more, and when I wrote about in the 70s, now people are starting to take a a, a little more serious look at it, and they're not laughing like they used to, and there have been several books writing about similar findings in recent years that are out there, and it's going on all over the country, and uh, it, it's fascinating, and it, it's so unusual. It's so beyond our, our present understanding. I, I really believe we're dealing with phenomena that's well beyond our present science. We just don't understand it. We can document it, we can write it down, we can look at comparisons, but I think we're dealing with something that is well beyond our present scientific understanding, and I think that's probably one reason why, with the UFO phenomena, that the government is not more forthcoming because they know a lot more than to tell the public, but they do not have the answer themselves. It's a worldwide phenomena, they're not in control of the situation, and I think there's a lot that they don't understand either.
2: Talking about cryptids and UFO sightings, I mean we're we're really treading on sacred ground with both of these different camps. To me, I mean, for a long time, there seems to be obviously a connection. And I know that you've got UFO people who are, you know just like, oh, you know, how can you believe in that that Bigfoot stuff? That's crazy. And then you turn around, you know, Bigfoot people saying the same thing about UFOs. Yet. We see the, the the two phenomena happening simultaneously in a lot of these locations.
1: Exactly. You know, I, I we probably may have mentioned some of these cases, but there's people out there that haven't heard these. And it's with some of the cases that I investigated in 73 during that major wave that brought to the attention to my team and myself that we're dealing with something we were never expecting to look for. We had no idea that these kind of reports were going to start originating from so many different sources. You know, when I got involved with with investigating Bigfoot in the 60s, I mean, I thought from all I knew about it in the history of Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, that these were some type of unknown primate. Well, we weren't expecting the kind of cases that turned up during the early 70s. And that, again, that's when I started my group. Luckily, we were around in 73, because first you had that massive UFO wave with hundreds and hundreds of UFO sightings all over Pennsylvania from January 1st to the end of the year. And back then, many papers across the state were publishing new UFO stories. So they're out there.
0: Certain radio stations were also covering UFOs in Pennsylvania. I remember one. Where I was working at the station in Chester County, and we had studios in Westchester and Coatesville, and in Kennett Square near Kennett Square, I remember what it was in 1973, we had some cases there.
1: Yes, you did. I remember I was doing a lot of radio back in those days. It was Talk radio was just starting in the early 70s, and I was getting a lot of requests to do a lot of interviews uh, for the small town and local radio station around Pittsburgh and other areas. And so, yes, there was actually uh, there was quite a bit of radio coverage and even some TV coverage, if I remember back then. And uh, so all this activity is going on in 73. So in the summer of 73, we had this massive Bigfoot outbreak the biggest ever been documented it went on for weeks and months in 1974 and a lot of those bigfoot sightings were very close range we're talking five ten fifteen feet away from people in some cases in daylight some cases more than one creature seen together so my teams are out there day and night investigating and we were on the scene of some of the incidents within minutes after they occurred this is why we could document it so well we made many casts of footprints we gathered all types of uh, different types of physical evidence over the years, but we weren't expecting to see what was about to develop and one of the one of the first things that began to show up we began to scratch our heads was we get out to some of these locations there'd be a series of these very large strange footprints with a very big stride between them under all kind of ground conditions and later in the winter in the snow and these tracks would just suddenly abruptly stop and disappear, stopped and end. Where there should have been more tracks, it made absolutely no sense. And by the way, that's still ongoing the last few years, more and more in the winter time. And then we began to have other very weird things show up. Um, there was one case where a police officer called me from up out there along the Chestnut Ridge, outside of uh, Latrobe Dairy Area.
0: Let us break here, guys, and we'll have more with Stan, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. <laughs>
11: Yes, the pandemic is coming to an end. Restrictions are coming to an end, but body aches and pains never seem to end. That's why you need to click sunny-bay.com for the best sleep you can get. Sunny Bay's legendary products can help, like our lavender stress-reducing products, locally sourced and handmade in the USA. Or try Sunny Bay's award-winning pillows for traveling or extra neck support while sleeping. No need for pills or expensive chiropractic visits. Our neck support pillows are that good. Sunny Bay is a homegrown, small business, but our products are designed and rigorously tested based on your demand and feedback. And they make great gifts for mom, dad, or anyone. Find Sunny Bay products on Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, or at sunny-bay.com. And right now, get free heat patches and a belt with any purchase. So remember, Sunny Bay heating pads, neck pillows, and stress-relieving hot or cold wraps as restrictions come to an end and you get back to work. Do it the healthy way with Sunny Bay.
21: Co-author of the
19: UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening
0: to the Paracast. Should point out briefly that Tim Swartz has not given up on writing material on the phenomenon since our friend Tim Beckley died. He's available online at the Conspiracy Journal. Okay. Check out the Conspiracy Journal. Where is that located? What's the URL?
2: It's uh, www.conspiracyjournal.com.
0: Conspiracyjournal.com. Let's continue with Stan Gordon telling us about all the incredible encounters in Pennsylvania. Go ahead, please.
1: Okay, so we're talking about uh, 73. I'm not sure exactly where we left off. Oh, okay, we're talking about the police officer. So, anyhow, he calls me and says this man seemed very serious. He was very upset. It was a a beautiful afternoon. He and his wife were taking a leisurely little ride out in the country. And then this man said, they're riding down the road. This huge, hair-covered creature with long arms walks out into the middle of the road. He tries to slow down, but he said he hit the creature, and upon impact, it physically vanished and disappeared. But there was no damage to his vehicle. That was one of the early reports we were getting as things began to happen. So we had the the tracks as abruptly disappeared, vanished, rather, I should say, when there should have been more tracks. And then we began to hear reports over the months from people in daylight who were seeing a Bigfoot in a particular location, basically in daylight, as I recall, and it would suddenly vanish and physically disappear and reappear a short distance away. So it, it vanished and reappeared again. And then we began to see that very strange pattern where you have a UFO sighting in a particular area. Within minutes, hours, or days later, you'd have a Bigfoot sighting or vice versa. And then we had some of those incredible, well-documented cases where we have a UFO and the Bigfoot seen together at the same time and place. Now. We probably at some point may have talked about a couple of these cases. These are very detailed, important cases. These are the cases that convinced me and my team, who were very skeptical, a lot of these scientific people, that we're dealing with something that's so unusual and so strange. And let me stress this again. When we're talking about the UFO and Bigfoot Association, I'm not saying and I'm not trying to prove that we're dealing with extraterrestrial spacecraft and that Bigfoot, whatever these things might be, that they're piloting or they're flying around in spaceships or another planet, because we don't know what we're dealing with. I said years ago, from the data that I'm seeing, we may be dealing with more than one origin to the unknown category of the UFO phenomena. The more I know about the phenomena we're dealing with, and, and the more I know about bigfoot and ufos and other cryptids i think a lot of this phenomenon is somehow all interconnected there's a physical and a non-physical component to it and for lack of a better term it might be interdimensional and there's so many cases we have for this now and again it's not just my case in pennsylvania it's all over the country and around the world other researchers are coming up with the same things now if you'd like me to tell you about some of those classic cases they're very intriguing
0: How about delivering a few, okay? And by the way, folks, when Stan appears on our premium show after the Paracast, I'm going to have him focus on these possible solutions such as interdimensional because that is fascinating in and of itself. Go ahead, Stan.
1: Okay, well... Among all the cases that we looked into, and this is just one of, of many different incidents that happened during that time, this was a case that happened up in Fayette County, which, again, you'll, you've heard me mention that. It's up in the area where there's uh, part of the Chestnut Ridge some of these locations. But this case occurred in a rural area outside of Uniontown, Pennsylvania, October 25th, 1973. I got a call about 1030 from a state trooper from that barracks who asked me if I could send a team up there as soon as possible. They had just come back from investigating this incident, and they believed there was something still up on the farm. It's late, but we did. We got our team together. We got all our equipment together, and we packed up and found our way up to Fayette County, and we were up there much of the night, the early morning hours. What we found out was there was about 15 witnesses in that, in that farming community that sees this object. Now, this object is a big red sphere, about as big as a barn. Spread about 100 feet off the ground, and it's hovering and it's slowly beginning to move downward. This is out on this farm. The primary witness was the son of the farmer who was just coming down the farm road to go visit his family, and he sees this thing in the sky, and he sees other people looking at this thing. He goes to a higher location to get a better look, and this big, round sphere looks like it's going to land on his dad's farm. So there were two young boys up at that location, he and those two boys decided they wanted to go up and see what this thing is. Before they proceeded up to that area, up to the pasture, they stopped over the farm. He grabbed a odd 6 and some ammunition. And he didn't know at that time, but in that within the live ammunition, he had two tracer bullets. So, again, the hunters that hunt, you know, you just get that luminous trail where you can see the trajectory of that munition as it's moving across the sky. Anyhow... As they're moving down towards the pasture in their vehicle, they notice high-pitched whining noise, baby crying sounds, and something like that, and the dogs right away are just going crazy around the area. So they finally make it down towards the area where the pasture is. They angle their truck, and they leave their headlights on so they can see their path going up the hill. But as they're going up the hill, they look back and they realize that something appears to be draining the power from the headlights, that they had never noticed that before. Anyhow, they finally make their way up to the pasture, and they're standing there because they can't believe what they're seeing, but that large object is now on the ground or right above it. But now, it's not this complete sphere they saw originally. It's like a half a sphere, like a big white dome about 100 feet in diameter that's illuminating the area, making that loud whirling sound. And they're standing there trying to figure out what this thing is, but then... They notice about 75 feet away is this barbed wire fence. And moving in a direction along the barbed wire fence are these two tall, hair-covered creatures. The one in the front, the biggest one, is about 8 feet tall. The one behind is about 7 feet tall. They're covered with long, dark, I believe, kind of brownish, grayish hair. The arms are so long they're hanging down almost to the ground. They have no neck. They have large about they estimated about size of a fifty cent piece. They have large, luminous, green, glowing eyes, and they're making that whining, crying baby sound. Well, the one kid's fright so frightened he ran he ran out of the field and he ran found found his way home. The other boy yells to the older fellow to shoot at them, which he finally does. His first shot's a tracer, he just had that luminous trail. He fires the second tracer. And when he does, the largest of the two creature makes us loud whining crying noise, reaches out as though to grab the tracer. At the same time it happens, that large luminous object vanishes and disappears. It doesn't rise from the ground and take off. It's just physically gone. The sound stops and most of the luminosity is gone. The creatures turn around, start walking back along the fence line towards the woods. The guy starts opening fire with his thirty odd six, which is quite a high powered weapon. He's been hunting for years. He said, I have no doubt I hit these things. He was mainly focused on the biggest creature and for years and years and up to the time he passed away he always would say to me, he said, I'll never forget that thing, that great big creature with those glowing green eyes, just staring at me as I'm popping live ammo into it and there's no response from the creature whatsoever it doesn't appear to be wounded or hurt whatsoever they just keep running that creatures keep walking towards the woods the two fellows run out of there and they go back to the truck they go back to the farmhouse they take the family to a neighbor and they call the state police when the troop arrives about 45 minutes later, the witness just says, just forget about it. You're going to think I'm crazy. And the, and the trooper said, we had a report of two similar creatures on a mountain last night, and I have to go up to investigate. So they go up into the field in the police car, and they're looking around for evidence, Again, this is the shorter part of the story. Without getting into the whole thing, it gets weirder and weirder. I read the whole thing up my Solid Invasion book about these things. It was crazy stuff at the time. And anyhow, the trooper told me the area where the object was on the ground was self-luminescent and glowing, about 100 feet or more in diameter. He said that glow extended up about a foot off the ground. The farm animals wouldn't enter into it. He was certain if he had a newspaper, he could have read the newspaper from the glow coming off the, that area. So well, they went back to the police station, back to the barracks, and I was told both the trooper and the witness were both separately interviewed in two different rooms. Then they called me to send my team up. That was the case, but that was the case that Roy stood out that made – us realized, my team and I realized that we're dealing with something here that's much stranger than we had ever realized. This is, you know, we weren't looking for anything like this. And then the cases got even stranger. And it's another case that's even much more unusual. It was the case that convinced me, and I think some of my other research members too, that we're dealing with something, again, that's more than just a physical unknown phenomenon. We're dealing with something that's both physical and non-physical. And if you want me to discuss it, I'll be glad to.
0: You know what? Let's do that in our next segment. We have Stan Gordon, longtime UFO researcher, dates back to the 60s when he set up a telephone hotline to receive UFO reports. We have Tim Swartz and Gene Steinberg, you're in
2: <laughs> the podcast.
9: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
7: The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's
0: Gene Steinberg. Before we go into the cases you were mentioning, Stan, anyone looks at the map of Pennsylvania, looks at the states with which it borders, or like Ohio and Maryland, New Jersey, New York. I'm wondering here, in doing your studies. Of cases, Do you coordinate with UFO investigators in neighboring states to see where some of these cases might originate?
1: Yeah, I, I have contact over the years. Well, I've had contact with a lot of people over the years. Unfortunately, many of these folks have passed away. There's still some contacts I have in, in some of the neighboring states. So we do keep in contact in West Virginia, Ohio, Maryland, different places like that, uh, New York. And so I, I keep pretty much up to date on what's going on and the see uh, comparisons. And, for example, down in West Virginia, I believe it's called those uh, Weird West Virginia. There, is there actually, there's a link on my website that people can look at this really interesting video that the researchers down there uh, sent over to me. And this was a, a daylight video of, of a white cigar-shaped object. And this happened during the time we were having all those sightings um, around in March of this year and here in western Pennsylvania. And also there have been a number of other similar cigar-shaped object reports. As recent as about a week ago, again, in daylight with pictures that we're looking into right now, that are very similar. So you're getting a lot of these large, solid, wingless looking objects being seen from different areas. And there are other reports coming in too. V-shaped objects, triangular objects. These things are going on again. It's going on constantly. I've been very, very busy around here, I can tell you, over the last few weeks and months. And it's just nonstop. Uh, interesting report came in. Before we been, get to
0: that, you were about to talk about a case in our last segment, before I segue to the neighboring states, could we go back to go. That briefly?
1: Let's go back and do that. Sorry, got sidetracked here with so much going on. Okay, so anyhow, the incident that I'm going to talk about occurred February 6, 1974, near Ohio pileup in Fayette County. Some of your listeners will remember the time period. There was a big national trucker strike across the country. There was gas rationing. Everybody seems to remember that. There was a lot of violence across the country on the highway. So here in Pennsylvania, the National Guard and the state police were on patrol together, and you had some members of of both units that responded to this incident. I couldn't get up to the site to the next morning because I couldn't get gas here in Greensburg. Anyhow, the, the story goes, this woman... Lived in this little cabin home for years and years, deep up in the mountains. She, um, she knew animals very well. She was a very good shot. She was just sitting in a little cabin home that evening, watching TV as normal, when she heard this commotion on her on her small front porch. She had some empty uh, pop cans out there, and someone was knocking the pop cans around. Anyhow. Her thought was, you know, a few weeks before there was a pack of wild dogs in the area. I bet the dogs are back. I'll just grab my my shotgun. I'll fire over their head and they'll scare those dogs away. So she goes over. She loads one chamber of her of her 16 gauge um, double barrel shotgun, and she walks over to the front door. She opens up the door, steps out, and flicks on the light from the front porch. There's no dogs there. But I believe it was about the, about the six seat in front of her. Here's this huge, at least seven-foot-tall, hair-covered creature with long arms. And, and as soon as she put the light on, she said it put its arms straight up over its head. And when I interviewed her many times, she never called it a Bigfoot. She said it looked like a great big hairy ape. What does she do? It puts its arms up over its head. She fires right into it with her shotgun. She said there's this brilliant burst of light, like the flash on a camera, and the creature physically vanishes and disappears. But that's not the end of the story. Her in-laws lived about 100 feet away. They heard the gunshot, and they called her and asked her what was going on. She tried to explain it to him. The uh, son-in-law grabs his sidearm, starts walking down that dark road, And as he's getting closer to her cabin, he said he's surrounded by four or five hairy people with eyes like coals of fire. And at about the same time, there's this large object, luminous object with lights on it, they said like a big Christmas ornament hovering over the woods at the same time. That's when they called the state police. Well, I talked to the primary investigator, and he said said, by the time they found the place way up in the mountains, he said everything was gone, but he said something very strange had gone on there. That he, that he, uh, basically based on the animal reactions. Now, I told you earlier, I've never seen a Bigfoot or UFO, but I have seen the animals react, because I've been out to some of these locations with Bigfoot sightings within minutes after they took place. And very commonly, even your most vicious dogs, when they're in the vicinity of these creatures, they shake, they cower, they don't bark, they hide. Even sometimes they don't even eat right for a day or two. Sometimes three days later, I've been told. So he said when they got up there, there wasn't a sound. The dog They had several big dogs. There was no barking. Uh, There was other animals there. They were not acting normally, according to people that owned the property. They were not eating properly. They were moving around the areas they generally didn't go into. Also very interesting, they had a a very young baby, as I recall. And they told me the night this happened, that baby just cried and cried like never happened before or since, as though the baby was sensing something. So that was the case, among others, that indicated we're dealing with something both physical and non-physical both.
0: Okay, let's go back to the current stuff. How recently do you have a case you can tell us about?
1: I have several cases just in the last few days, and right now they're still under investigation. Before we get to that one, let me tell you about this one, August 14th. So this is down in the Mon Valley area. This is about 30 miles outside of Pittsburgh. So these are the small communities that kind of parallel along the Monongahela River. By the way, a lot of history down there of UFOs, Thunderbird sightings, Bigfoot sightings, all kinds, for years and years. I've been down this since the 70s investigating incidents. This occurred, again, the evening of August 14th, and apparently there was two neighbors. It was a nice evening. These two people were sitting outside on the porch, and the the guy called me that evening, and he said um, about, actually it happened about 8.45 p.m. that evening. I got the report around 11.25, and he said they see this large luminous orange triangular object So it's across the river, up along the tree line, and it said it appeared over the trees in a wooded area, and the point of the triangle was straight up, and the object moved upward slowly above the trees, then moved slowly to the left, then moved to the right, then began to accelerate in speed as it rode higher into the sky, into the clouds, and was gone. About 10 minutes later, a second similar object that did basically the same thing, but this object rose from lower than the tree line, and then moved up over the trees and into the sky and into the clouds as well and was gone. He said they sat there for two hours and never saw anything again. But uh, that was very, very interesting. And so September 3rd, and and again, I I know I have numerous other reports in between. I don't have all this right in front of me right now. But uh, September the 3rd, down in Washington County, this was uh, in the evening. It was still light out. And, um, this fella's, um, cutting grass. He happens to look up and see this luminous, long, cylindrical, he a cigar shaped object, had no wings, contrail, was completely silent. He asked me, it was about two hundred, two thousand feet high, and he said it looked pure white in color. S- and he excuse me, how high? He said, yes, asked about 2,000 feet high. Okay. And, um, he sees a lot of aircraft there, and he said this thing looks much longer than the other commercial aircraft he sees flying over the area. But he was able to get a few pictures of them, which are being uh, analyzed at this time. And then there have been a, a number of other reports now in the last few days um, of both um, cigar-shaped object and also kind of a V-shaped, kind of a V-triangular-shaped object was taken as well. well I'm going to mention on.
0: something before we get to our next case, i going to mention something. As our listeners probably know, this show will be heard after the Apple September 14th event, where they're going to introduce a brand new iPhone. Why should we care about the new iPhone? There are reports that will have improved photo taking capability for distant objects. You can take a picture and see the stars, which you really can't see right now if you take a picture of the sky quite the same way. This may also help it capture UFO sightings at night. Make them perhaps more distinct. We'll have to see what the announcements are. You'll know before we know based on when we're doing this show. Stan Gordon, Gene Steinberg, and Tim Swartz are in... The
2: ParaCast.
0: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on this special deal at Namecheap.com Namecheap.com. First game Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success.
7: And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man has contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R O C K O I D S.com.
13: If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year.
22: I represent low-cost airlines, and we know a lot of you are not traveling right now, and we understand. However, if you do need to travel between now and the end of the year, now is a great time to lock in some of the lowest prices we've seen in a lifetime. Hey, in normal times, we can save you up to 75%, but now airlines are practically giving away seats. We have inside deals on over 500 airlines. Here are a few sample round-trip deals we found. Seattle to Vegas, $35. Chicago to Atlanta. $85. Los Angeles to Atlanta, $100. Of course, there are some limitations, but the airlines want your business right now. And cancellation and change feeds are flexible. So fly somewhere this year, book now, save a ton, call right now. 802-341-4535. 802-341-4535.
18: 802-341-4535. 802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535.
13: Both my legs were amputated due to an IED. It's when you start to try to get back into, like, an everyday life. I absolutely felt like I lost some of my purpose. There must be something more. When DAV came into my life, they gave me a new mission. I could still be a productive member of society, could still support a family. The
9: DAV gave him that sense of structure and purpose again to get his life back together.
8: Visit DAV.org to learn more about our mission.
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: Stan Gordon, let's continue with those case histories. But wouldn't it be nice to have a smartphone that's better able to catch nighttime pictures of small, distant objects?
1: Oh, most definitely. And even so, even with some of the cameras they have today, sometimes we get lucky and we get some fairly good pictures in daylight. But I'll, again, as you mentioned, so many of these sightings are at night, and the cameras are not designed to focus and take pictures of objects at that distance. So, you've got a Pictures, but they're out of focus, they're blurry, and their resolution is so poor, it's very hard for anybody to do a good analysis of what was in the picture, but at least we're getting something on occasion. Again, here's another example of more recently June 12th. This would be up in Cambria County, up to the biggest, one of the bigger towns that there would be around Johnstown. This would be in a rural area. I received a call, it was around 7 18 p.m. The initial report, this witness saw this cigar-shaped object. It had no wings. He estimated about 200 feet off the ground, and he said the front and rear section appeared to be white or silver in color, seemed to be somewhat rounded on the ends. The center was kind of a grayish-blue color. He only saw it for a few seconds, didn't have time to grab his camera. It was a little later that evening I think it was around 730, if I recall, that he sees it again, but it's much higher. It may be the same object or similar, much higher in the sky, but he did take several pictures with his uh, camera, a digital camera, an older model camera. He captured it, but it's so small, there's not enough detail. There's something on there, and it's interesting, but not enough to really do a good analysis on. But anyhow... About 11.27 that night, I received another report from a suburb of Pittsburgh. This fellow had seen the object he was calling me about around 8.30, said this is about an hour after the sighting in Cambria County, which to be about, I think, about 60 miles away. And the fellow in Pittsburgh said he saw this dark object approaching And he said, he estimated it hovered about 1,500 feet in the sky. It was completely silent. It looked black in color, was rounded and long, had no lights. He grabbed his binoculars, and he said that each side appeared to be kind of bulbous and it said the center was thin. He thought it was about 75 feet long, but he said what was so unusual is that as he's watching this object, it's physically changing form. And this is something I get more and more reports of over the years of these objects changing from one form into another. If you go to my website, there's two sketches on there that you can look at where he, he drew sketches and how it looked as it changed form. He said at times it looked gelatinous that would stretch and shrink and go back to its original shape. And after a few minutes, the object began to pick up speed and move towards the northwest and accelerated um, out of sight up towards Butler County.
2: It's almost like you're not, uh, with these UFOs where they change form, it's not like, You're seeing the entire craft. It's it's almost like you're seeing just a portion of it coming from wherever. You know, I often think of, say, like a fish tank and what the fish see. If you would poke your finger into the top of the water, all they would see would be this strange thing, you know, um, oval type of uh, object floating at the top. But there's much more attached to that. Makes you wonder if that's the same case with some of these UFO sightings.
1: Yeah, in some cases, these things actually change into another form. And I don't have the details from my memory. Again, this was probably three, four years ago in the afternoon. This was probably 30 miles outside of Pittsburgh. A man and his wife were riding down this road, just taking a nice drive the afternoon. and no other vehicles around on the highway. And suddenly, I think it was like a misty form, I think began to form a large, I believe it was a large tri- a rectangular object and it moved over a couple lanes of the highway, and it physically changed into a big, big spherical object that moved again, and it changed back to the, rec- I think, it went back to the rectangular object. I may have it backwards. It was similar, and then it vanished and disappeared. Mm-hmm. I remember him saying for about a minute or two, I didn't say anything to my wife at all about it, and she didn't say anything, and then I brought it up and she said, You saw it too. And they, they didn't even want to talk about it together because they didn't think either one would believe them, but they both saw the same thing.
2: Well, we, we've talked quite a bit about uh, the uh, Bigfoot type of, of cryptids, but I mean, Pennsylvania is also well known for uh, big bird sightings. And uh, you've got some uh, fairly recent ones that have uh, just come in.
1: I've been investigating, again, for a better term, over the years, we talk about Thunderbird sightings, and there's similarities but differences. So, you know, some people might categorize them in, in separate categories. Basically, a lot of the, the typical Thunderbird reports from witnesses are they're seeing something that looks like a huge, overgrown turkey vulture, generally dark brown or black. So, that's very, very common. But we're talking about wingspans, and, you know, I, again, just like with UFO sightings, very difficult. To judge altitude and size. But luckily, we have some cases where these things are very low to the ground or actually have been on the ground on the road with the wings completely spread open and they can get a very good estimate of, of the wingspan. And we're talking some cases 10 over 20 feet wide. So those are amazing. But over the years, I've investigated many of these reports. So you've got that typical report. And then you also have incidents where you have these very large flying creatures that are generally, again, black, dark, but they're leathery, no feathers. They look like more like a, a giant bat. And then you've got people, and again, some of these witnesses, again, They're very credible people who are so reluctant to even tell you what they saw. And they swear what they saw looked prehistoric, like a pterodactyl or a And then we have some of these other cases where people describe something that looks almost like a dragon. And then you have other instances where we have these flying uh, humanoid, winged humanoid sightings. So it's just amazing the the strange things that go on. But, yeah, we... um, Back in May of this year, we began to have a, a number of reports come in from different areas. And um, this was actually in downtown Greensburg, which is only a short distance from where I live, just maybe a mile down the road is South Greensburg. It's a main thoroughfare, Route 119. And for years, there have been reports of these huge flying creatures. Uh, very low, sometimes following the truck and car traffic in that area and and right around that area, which is pretty well populated and there 's some woods around, there have been bigfoot sightings, UFO sightings, and this is all a pretty populated area and um, but anyhow on may twenty third this person was in downtown Greensburg, and the witness uh, happened to notice over at the corner of Otterman and Maple. Um, seeing something in the sky and said, "I was just stunned at what I saw," and said, "The wingspan of this thing looked to be about two car lengths long," and the observer said that it was uh, it was huge that um, it was all black in color. It had a defined elongated head with a sharp pointed beak and also a pointed protuberance at the back of the head. Mm -hmm. And the body was featherless and appeared to be covered with leathery skin. The tail was straight and looked similar to a lizard's tail. However, it seemed to be curled up at the bottom. When the creature made a left turn into the flight, uh, the woman could not see its legs. They were possibly tucked underneath it. And uh, there's a sketch of it on my website as well. And then I get a report that uh, another person north of greensburg and that would have been i believe um i believe that was the i'm not sure it was the day before day after i've got many reports in my head right now but it was within a day or two
0: stan gordon steinberg tim swartz you're in (laughs) the pericast
23: USA Radio News. I'm Brad Bernards. Nearly 30 U.S. citizens were able to leave Taliban-controlled Afghanistan after the full withdrawal of U.S. troops the State Department confirmed Saturday. State Department spokesperson Ned Price in a statement said, we can confirm that a Qatar Airways charter flight departed from Kabul yesterday with 28 U.S. citizens and seven lawful permanent residents on board. President Joe Biden's call to tax the wealthy will hurt the nation's poor while barely affecting the nation's richest people. Representative Louie Gohmert, Republican of Texas, insisted Saturday to Newsmax.
4: The ultra-wealthy are the only ones you can't tax. They can afford to move. They can afford to hire lawyers and accountants to change the way they receive income. They can get around whatever it is you're taxing.
23: This is USA Radio News. If Canadians elect a minority government next week, liberal or conservative, Justin Trudeau loses. The Liberal Prime Minister gambled on an election he did not have to call. If the Conservatives win, he'll suffer the worst kind of bad beat, and if the Liberals scrape by, he'll still take heat for Canadians calling his bluff. That lead crumbled early, and Trudeau is now in a tight race against Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole in the final stretch of a 36-day campaign that ends Monday. Trump derangement syndrome was on full display at MSNBC as Jeremy Bash, former chief of staff of the CIA and the Defense Department, opines regarding General Mark Milley's discussions with his Chinese counterpart.
3: Totally comfortable with what General Milley did in this case. Moreover, I think in this particular matter, because there was such a a lunatic in the
23: Oval Office, someone who was unpredictable, someone who had politicized intelligence. This is USA Radio News.
5: Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: Okay, folks, let's continue with Stan Gordon. Go ahead, please.
1: Here's a really interesting report. So among the reports coming in, I find out that another very interesting uh, incident had occurred. And uh, this was down in eastern Pennsylvania. And I got the call... On May 26th, and this happened early April, and this this was in daylight, and this person was pulling into a a parking lot for a scheduled appointment uh, where this occurred, and she was a few minutes early, she was talking with her friend on the cell phone, and suddenly something flew over top of her vehicle that shadowed the entire size of her car. In fact, it it was so apparent that she actually ducked her head thinking it was a small plane coming down right over top of her. And she commented to her friend about what just had happened, said moments later she saw the biggest bird she had ever seen flying in front of her car, and she told her friend the size of the bird was unimaginable. The giant bird never flapped its wings. It just soared toward the office where the woman was going to be going, and it looked like it was going to land on the roof. So she told her friend she was going to go out and try to get a picture of this huge thing. She exited her vehicle and began to walk towards the back of the building where she felt the creature had landed, and the huge creature was perched on the highest point of the chimney. She only looked up for a moment. At the same time, the giant bird looked down at her, made eye contact with her, and she said it had piercing, fiery eyes. And she said the eyes were large and round, even from that distance up on the roof. They were vivid and green, red, and orange in color. The witness stated the size of the creature was the most amazing thing she had ever seen. A moment later... It looked down. She realized it made direct contact with her. She immediately turned and ran in panic and disbelief. As she turned the corner, she looked back for a second, and the huge wing creature was gliding toward her at an angle. It was only about eight feet behind her, and its talons were out. The woman made it to the door and actually just pushed in the private door office and yelled and screamed that she was being attacked by this huge bird. Anyhow, upon further investigation, we found out that the professional who she was to visit was so glad that she had that this person had confirmed his account because he had an encounter with the same thing uh, previously in the same area a while back. So that's a real interesting story. And then there was another report I got now from the other part of Pennsylvania. This just happened about a month ago. It was the same kind of detail. This person was very, very shook up. This person was sitting outside, What suddenly this huge flying creature, same thing, came down within 10 feet, was just gliding down, and said, this thing did the same thing and made direct eye contact with that witness. So in two cases, you got something very, very similar and very interesting.
2: You know, I just can't help but think how a person would feel. I know how I would feel if you make eye contact with something like this, and you could tell immediately, "Uh uh-oh, I'm screwed.
1: (laughs) Well, and then I think the worst part is they tried to share this with people close to them, and people were very reluctant to believe what they were telling them. You know, they're giving me the same kind of details. I've heard you know these stories for years and years. And then, uh, so let me also tell you this. This past Monday... Um, this past Monday, this was around 630 in the morning. And this person called me has a, uh, I can't go into what the background is, but I can just tell you a a very experienced uh, type of observer. And uh, he's pumping gas at a filling station. It's just getting a light out in the area, he says. As he's pumping gas, his attention's drawn to this huge bird that's flying just over the tree across the road. And he said to me in the interview, he said, he said it was like Jurassic Park over the trees. He only saw this huge flying creature about 10 seconds and didn't have time to grab his phone to take a picture. He was just getting laid out. He said it looked all dark. It had very long legs and a tail and a very wide wingspan. He said it occasionally flapped its wings very slowly and also just soared while it was under observation as it moved out of sight down the road. And he knows turkey vultures. He knows blue herons. And he said this thing was much, much bigger. And then there was another report the next day in another area from a person that had no way of knowing about these large bird sightings. So that's just an example of what's been going on. I
2: suppose it's not outside of the realm of possibility that you could have uh you know especially in uh, you know mountainous and forest regions that you know there's some kind of relic population of you know oversized feathered birds but a lot of these sightings seem to be prehistorical, pterodactyls, pterodons, that sort of thing. You know, something that, you know, as far as I know, it's just completely outside the possibility that there could be some kind of surviving species, at least here in the United States.
1: Right. And we haven't even talked tonight about many of the other very weird of reports we're getting. Things that some people never even heard of before. And the whole point again, I, I keep stressing when I'm talking to people about these things, it's impossible to have so many type of unknown creatures out there. Yet you have so many credible people from widespread areas who don't even know about these other people reports giving you very similar accounts with very similar small details. So you can't dismiss the reports. And the only thing, again, that makes any sense is that we're dealing with some kind of phenomena that under certain conditions, which we don't understand, they come in and out of our physical reality. They come and they go. They're here and they're gone. At times they leave physical evidence, and sometimes they don't. All right. Now
2: I'm curious. Give me an example of a cryptid that uh, people may not have ever heard, heard of before, besides, you know, the usual Bigfoot and well, this is
17: This
1: is one that it's not very well known. But these reports now are coming in across the country. Uh, I've seen some people refer to them as crawler reports. Uh, It's something similar. But I may have had a couple reports prior to 2017, but this is when these reports began to come in from different places over a period of time, and uh, they're continuing from different areas around the country. So this report actually came to me from a police officer who had just been on patrol. And I, I won't give the exact location at all, but I can just tell you it was here in Pennsylvania. And he's on patrol that evening in a rural area that he commonly patrolled. He's riding down the road, and he sees what appears to be a, a ball of very dull white light low to the ground. And he's thinking, well, I never saw any artificial lighting like that on the road. And he stops his patrol car, and suddenly that ball of light rises straight up from the ground, and he realizes this is the head of a very strange being about six feet or taller. It was tall and almost skeletal thin, completely hairless. The officer said he was opinion that the creature was first seen, it was lying on its belly on the ground with his head facing the road, and then it stood up, and uh, he said the glow from the head was illuminating the upper section of the body. He said that the creature turned, at one point turned and faced him, then turned to the left, and then he said it took off with an incredible speed towards the location away from the road he said he assumed it ran but he couldn't see its legs at that point but he said the speed was abnormal he said it was faster than anything he had ever seen it was there and then was gone interestingly that's how some people describe certain cryptids appearing and disappearing and doing the same thing i've heard from other witnesses but he said that um he could see its hands no he could not see its hands he could see the shoulders, the top of the chest, and sections of the arms. The chest looked about 18 inches across. The waist appeared to be small. The arms were unusually long. The long lids looked skeletal with no muscle mass. The skin tone appeared to be a dull grayish blue. He couldn't see any facial features. And when the thing took off, um, he pulled up, put a spotlight down, didn't see any tracks whatsoever. So in the days to follow, Other reports came in, but one in particular, and I'm I'm trying to think, it's maybe about 30 miles away from that area, and I was at the location, so I saw where this was. This fellow that this involved, this was the fall of 2018, so it was two, three months later, and he lives in the woods. He knows animals. He lives with animals. He was up there working. That evening, when he heard something kind of bipedal, but it didn't sound right. He knew it wasn't any deer. So he goes down to his house and he's sitting there at the table. It's about 10 feet away from the back door, which has no drapes on it. It's completely unobstructed.
0: We're going to have an unobstructed announcement now. After being unobstructed, we'll talk about this weird, weird, weird creature. With Stan, Gene, and Tim, you're in. The
2: Paracast! <laughs>
9: For listening to GCN. Visit GCNLive.com today.
0: Hey listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. Once again, the Paracast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus.
16: What will you do if there's a sudden food shortage? Given recent headlines, it seems likely, and at any moment. That's why it makes common sense to build your emergency food storage supply now while you still can. Do it with the kind of food that stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Food that doesn't go bad like what you get at the grocery store. Whose food should you trust? The largest preparedness company in America, My Patriot Supply. We've served millions of American families going on 14 years. At MyPatriotSupply.com, our mission is your survival. Our emergency food could definitely be your lifesaver when the peanut butter hits the fan. Choose from dozens of delicious meal kits that provide over 2,000 calories a day, which is what your body needs. Order today, and your food will ship fast in unmarked boxes to protect your privacy. Don't wait. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. MyPatriotSupply.com.
13: It's been tough talking to my doctor about constipation with belly pain, discomfort and bloating. I finally laid all my symptoms out there and how they keep coming back. She said I may have irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBS-C. We agreed. It's time to try something different.
15: Linzess or linaclotide is a prescription medicine that treats IBS-C in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives. It lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements and helps relieve overall abdominal symptoms, belly pain, discomfort and bloating. These symptoms were studied in combination, not individually. Do not give Linzess to children less than six and it's should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. There could be more to your story with IBSC. Visit a doctor in person or online. Say yes to Linzess. Learn more at Linzess.com or call 1-800-LINZESS. Sponsored by and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals.
19: Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: So you have an unobstructed view at the rear of this dwelling. Yes. And now the suspense builds. Go ahead, Stan.
1: So what he sees crouched down at the door was his thing unlike anything he'd ever seen before. He said the humanoid shape being was on his hands and knees staring directly at him. The creature looked like a skeleton covered with all grey skin. The creature was down on its gray, bony legs. The legs looked similar to the back legs of a greyhound dog. The arms were longer than normal, bony and hairless. The head was round and the neck was small. The head appeared to be right on the shoulders. The mouth was closed. The eyes were glowing a dull yellow color. He estimated the creature would stand six or seven feet tall. He could see its spine protruding as it moved. He uh, spun around a second and looked back, and he said the thing at that point was down on all fours like a dog, ran along the side of the wall of the house, and that's the last he saw of it. Wow. <laughs> and reports are similar now are coming in from many parts of the country, and other researchers are reporting on them as well. One report I had that was somewhat similar, and this occurred I think two or three weeks after the police officer is sighting in another area is while a large UFO is hovering low, a strange, weird scream comes out of the woods, and this tall, skinny creature starts approaching the witness, came within 25 feet of the witness, and then goes back in the woods.
17: I've
2: seen some videos that's been uh, released recently that you know, purportedly show these types of crawlers, but, you know, I mean, they're obviously CGI, but it's obvious that they're basing this on these really interesting reports that are coming in from all across the uh, the planet.
1: Yeah, and again, there's other kind of reports going on. Another phenomena that I deal with, because it goes on all the time, year after year, we hear reports, are an out-of-place animal, black panther sightings. Mm. And, of course, black panthers are not an animal common in this part of the country and this part of the world. When you think of black panthers, we think of leopards and jaguars you see in the zoo. I believe it was last year we had three daylight sightings, all in daylight at close range. One ran within 10 feet of the witness. There's some very interesting things I found out of black panthers. Some of the weird things that we didn't even talk about tonight that I found out about Bigfoot, which suggests, again, that they are much stranger than just an unknown animal, there's some correlation between some of the Bigfoot activity and Black Panther sightings, and some of those appear in areas where ongoing phenomena is occurring, similar to Skinwalker, but in other areas here in Pennsylvania and around the country. But I had one case that is very significant, which ties in with the case I'll talk about with the, the dematerializing Bigfoot. And this involves a Black Panther. And if you want, I'll tell you about it.
2: Oh, sure, please.
1: All right, so this goes back to February of 1983. This is way out in the country. This is getting home around 1 o'clock in the morning, and his car's overheating. So he pulls into his driveway, and he goes in to grab a can of antifreeze. And he's uh, putting antifreeze in the vehicle. And as he's doing that, he hears his growl. So he turns around about 20 feet away, here's his large black house cat, this is sitting there and growling at him, so he didn't pay too much attention to it. He goes back, and he's putting a more antifreeze in the car. A few seconds later, he hears a second growl, but this time the sound is much deeper, much louder, and he turns around to look at the cat, and he's shocked because this large house cat has now physically grown about another foot in the size. So he reacts by throwing the empty antifreeze jug at the animal, which he hits. It ferociously growls at him like it's going to attack. It takes two or three steps backward, growls again, begins to move up the uh, road that's illuminated. So the guy runs inside, grabs his pistol, And he takes a shot at this thing. He wasn't sure if he hit it, but he's watching this thing. And now it physically looks like a full-size black panther like you'd see in the zoo with a long tail and luminous yellow eyes glowing, staring at him and growling at him. And as he's watching him, the thing physically vanishes and disappears right in front of him.
2: Hmm. In a lot of these cases that you have investigated, UFOs, cryptids, whatever, Have you gone back afterwards to find out if anything else has happened to the witnesses? Because I know that a lot of UFO sightings, that's not the end of it, that the phenomena seems to attach itself at times to certain witnesses and, you know, more stuff continues
1: with them. And that is correct. And yes, we did. And in many, many important cases we did, and and most importantly, an interesting part of that, October 25th, multiple witness UFO landing with two Bigfoot in the field at the same time, well, we kept in touch with that witness for years, and a lot of interesting things turned up. And again, we don't have time to talk about it. Years later, in one of these follow-up investigations with the witness, at the time it happened, there were some things that happened with the witness, and it was recommended at the time that neither we nor any professionals would hypnotize this witness so now many years later we were just going to talk to that witness about the possibility of doing hypnosis and my research associate and I were up there interviewing him and we asked him about it and he looks at us real oddly and he says why do you want to hypnotize me again? And we look at him like, well, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah. He said, you had guys from your group here, and they hypnotized me probably a, a couple weeks after it happened because we had many teams up there. where many investigations for weeks going on up at that site. It was a very interesting case and very involved. What he told us was, he said, he thought these two guys were associated my group. He said, one, however, one was in an Air Force uniform, and one was in a dark suit, and a man in the dark suit had a briefcase. They were questioning him. They wanted him to tell the whole story about what he saw with the UFOs and the Bigfoot. And when he was done telling them the story, the man pulled out from his briefcase photographs of both UFOs and Bigfoot. And one of the pictures of the Bigfoot, as I recall, was a Bigfoot climbing over a fence... I believe in Georgia, with a dead pig under its arm. And he wanted to witness to point out which UFOs and what Bigfoot looked similar to what he saw. And then apparently they did hypnotize him at that time. And afterwards they told him that they believed him, that they would be in touch with him. But he never heard from them again.
0: And of course, we tried to follow it up and we never were able to find out who these fellows were. So that would be interesting if the government, the U.S. government, is only interested in UFOs. Why would they care a whit? or half a wit, about cases that involve Bigfoot and other things. Hey, Stan, we're about out of time, but we're going to have you hang around for after the Paracast where we have lots more questions. But right now, can you tell our listeners what you're working on for the near future?
1: Well, I'm constantly working on new cases. I actually work on a fourth book that hopefully might be out in a month or so, so we're getting closer to it. My books, by the way, are available on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com website is stangordon.info there's a lot of information on there what you see on there is just an idea of, of the many many reports i get but there's a lot of interesting cases go on there back for many many years my contact information is on there the easiest way to reach me by email is pa ufo at comcast.net
0: pa ufo at comcast.net good luck with comcast
1: and the website is stangordon.info, I-N-F-O, stangordon.info.
0: Okay, and we'll be looking forward to that new book, you say, a month or two, so we're taking it to October, November?
1: Hopefully it'll be out sooner, but uh, so we've got a little bit of work yet to do, so we're getting closer.
0: And then as you finish the book, you would be supplanted with new cases to investigate, huh?
1: The reports never end. I'm always getting new cases in.
0: Hey, you can find us on Twitter if you look for The PowerCast. Check out The PowerCast on Facebook if you care doing about that, because they're not letting us post the URL for theparacast.com because they're freaking out, I guess, over us. We're making Facebook freak out. Imagine that. You can also get branded merchandise at theparacast.shop. That's theparacast.shop. We have several different logos and the t shirts and the throw pillows and all that stuff. We don't offer $299 a year memberships like Mufon, where we give you lots of stuff you don't need. What we do is we offer it a la carte. You buy the stuff you like, and that's it. The Paracast.shop. We also have the Paracast Plus, where we feature a version of the show free of the network ads. Okay? Free of the network ads plus the after the powercast podcast go to the theParacast.plus the Plus for more info and by the way if you go for a lifetime subscription use the coupon code ufo20 and get a 20 percent discount for a limited time the Plus. you can find our guest co-host tim swartz at ConspiracyJournal.com. Is that correct, Tim? Yes, that's correct. ConspiracyJournal.com. Stan Gordon, thank you so much for joining us on The PowerCast.
17: Thanks for having me back on. It was a fun evening.
7: The PowerCast.